0: Hey, everyone, and welcome to The Year Was, the podcast all about today that gives you just enough information to effectively be that guy at the party, causing all your friends to question, hey, who invited you? Like, seriously, why are you here? I'm your host, Michael Montalvo, and for the next few minutes, we will swim through the river of time to find out what makes it a truly unique... On this episode, we examine the events that occurred march 18th well the world has gone and gotten itself a coronavirus in the process it has shut down many cities events gatherings countries and yes schools so what better way to talk about a global state of emergency and millions of kids running around with no education than to talk about another school disaster it also deals with my neck of the woods kind of so let's take a look at some texas history In 1929, the United States was experiencing what some have called the Great Depression. Poverty-stricken families lost their homes and way of life and for years struggled with being able to just make ends meet. Parents would go around trying to sell kids or pets and uproot their lives in search for work. You may remember in our Black Dahlia episode, Elizabeth Short's father, Cleo, had abandoned his family and his mini-golf empire, which was a sport that became popular during this time for some reason. In 1930, Texas, with the misery of the Depression in full swing, began to drill for oil. On October 3, 1930, more than 40,000 people gathered at the Daisy Bradford No. 3 site and watched and waited to see what oil, if any, they would produce. Fate was on their side. And the well produced a gushing column of oil, that is, black gold, Texas T. Then they found another well to the north, and another, and another. They initially thought it to be separate fields, but it was later discovered, according to my many minutes of research, that it was the largest oil field in the lower 48 states. And it wasn't just oil. They also found natural gas. The field was so large that they had 10,000 oil derricks on it, which sounds like a lot to me. And this was all a good thing for the struggling communities and the farmers who owned the land. With this discovery came work, and the families who had been in poverty were now sending their children to some of the wealthiest rural school districts in the nation with state-of-the-art campuses. 25 miles southwest of Tyler, High In the town of New London, the crown jewel of the educational system was a $300,000 two-story junior and senior high school that housed a chemistry lab, industrial arts workshop, and an auditorium with a balcony. So, super fancy. Real quick, you remember when I said 10,000 oil derricks were in this oil field? 11 of those were on the school grounds. So this was all happening from 1930 to, the year was 1937, and on this day, March 18th, in what is known as the worst school disaster in U.S. history, yes, worse than Columbine or Sandy Hook, nearly 300 students and teachers were killed in a gas explosion in the East Texas town of New London. But what happened? The school needed energy, and to fulfill those needs, they purchased natural gas from Union Gas but the school's gas bill ran them nearly $300 a month on average, and if you were to convert that to today's money, that would equal about 5400 today. Needless to say, the school wanted to save money, and the way they figured to do that was to tap into the wet gas lines that the nearby Parade Oil Company operated. I know what you're asking. What's wet gas? Wet gas is actually just gas with a small amount of liquid in it, So in addition to methane, it also contains ethane and butane, which are heavier gases. Wet gas is also less stable and has more impurities, but at the time it wasn't uncommon to use this type of gas. So the school, wanting to save money, canceled the natural gas contract and decided instead to tap into the free residue gas line. The connections were installed, but unknown to them, the connection was faulty and resulted in a slow gas leak. I don't actually know how fast the gas leak was, but I assume it was slow. What you need to remember is that this is a very wealthy school with state-of-the-art facilities, and included in those facilities was the Industrial Arts Workshop. We don't know what caused the explosion, but the basement filled with gas, and it is thought to have started from static electricity, or the spark, from one of the machines in the shop. In the Texas Monthly article, The New London School Explosion, it says that, according to witnesses, the ground bounced, and that people saw a giant cloud rising and heard a terrible roar. Otis Bryan was 11 years old at the time. While filling an inkwell, his class shook and then was covered in a dark smoke. He couldn't hear, but made it out and ran a mile home where he discovered that he was bleeding and had debris in his skin. He would later say, Everyone was hollering. The new London school blew up. I was in shop class, which was on the first floor, with about 30 other boys. It was getting close to quitting time, and I was doing some welding in the front of the room when our teacher, Lemmy Butler, must have pulled an electrical switch to get a machine to work. Next thing I knew, I was picking myself up outside of the building. I don't remember flying out the window, but the building was still coming down. W.G. Bud Watson When Caroline and I got outside, we just stood there. We didn't know what to do. There was a deathly silence. Nothing. Like you were in a vacuum. Then all the sounds started coming, screaming, moaning, and people began to run all over. Barbara Page The explosion blew the roof off the school and leveled the building. The blast was felt up to 40 miles away. Most of the victims were killed instantly. Hundreds rushed to the school, some to help, others to just marvel at the damage. Some even went so far as to capitalize on the tragedy by selling tombstones and insurance. 1,500 oilfield workers helped to clear debris, recover bodies, and search for survivors. For those who were injured, gathering spots like churches and skating rinks were turned into hospitals and morgues. Rescue workers were not checking to see if kids in the rubble were alive or dead. They were just trying to get them out. 294 were confirmed dead, but the New London Museum says that there may have been more. Nearby Dallas, Texas, got the news of the explosion, and a young Walter Cronkite made his way there for the United Press. By the time he got there, it was dark and it was raining. The most populated area was the funeral home in Tyler, and perhaps that really sank in how serious and bad everything went. Cronkite would later write about the incident, saying, We hurried on to New London. We reached it just at dusk. Huge floodlights from the oil fields illuminated a great pile of rubble, at which men and women tore with their bare hands. Many were workers from the oil fields. I did nothing in my studies nor in my life to prepare me for a story of the magnitude of that new London tragedy, nor has any story since that awful day equaled it. That was a really bad Walter Cronkite impression. In his book Gone at 317, The Untold Story of the Worst School Disaster in American History, David M. Brown wrote, The resulting explosion laid waste to a town's future. Families lost children. Some lost all their children. In the Texas Monthly article, they wrote one mother positively identified her daughter because the 10-year-old had colored her toenails red with a crayon the night before. What happened next? The school did have permission to tap into the parade gasoline company line, but despite this, critics charged them with negligence. Families also filed lawsuit and tried to hold the school district accountable. I say tried because a judge dismissed all the cases that came to trial and no one was ever held liable. Federal investigators were brought in and it was determined that poor ventilation and the bad connection had resulted in the explosion. Letters of sympathy and condolences began pouring in, including a telegram from Adolf Hitler. That's not important to the story, it's just an interesting bit of trivia. Over the next few weeks, residents would attend funeral after funeral after funeral, with one person remarking, I don't know how they found enough pastors." I know what you're asking. How did they not smell the gas? Many survivors said they had headaches that day, some experiencing nausea and other symptoms of a gas leak, but no one thought anything of it. Natural gas is naturally odorless. So, as a direct result of the explosion, the Texas legislator passed a law requiring refineries to add mercaptan to the gas, which gives it an odor, so that a leak would be more easily detectable. With mercaptan, it only takes a small amount to treat the gas, and if it gets on your clothing, you might as well throw them away, said my father, who used to work for a gas company. Wet gas can also be burned away instead of piped, or the gas can be sent through a knockout drum, which sends it through a maze to purify and remove water from the gas and leaves a form of gasoline. In a bit of cruel irony, it's like rain on your wedding day or a free ride when you've already paid. Among the rubble, a blackboard was found with the words, Oil and natural gas are East Texas's greatest mineral blessings, written on it. You can see the blackboard if you visit the New London Community Museum. That's going to do it for us today. If you like this podcast and want to hear more, you can give us a rate and a review. That helps me out and helps me steer this in a direction that is hopefully good for all. If you're watching this on YouTube, you can find the audio version on your podcast app of choice. You can find me on social media and at YouTube at The Apple Cider Club. And as always, I want to thank the Tim Kreitz Band for our musical theme. Thank you to Tammy Montalvo for coming in and doing a bit of recording for our quotes.